Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, today we are going to be landing our series. We've been in a month series. If you're just joining us now, we're kind of jumping into where we've been. We've been in a series called Cancel Culture. Uh, to say it's been spicy has been, is a small statement. Uh, cancel culture is a very hot topic inside of our community. Uh, it's, it's not just here, it's nationwide. And if you're just joining us, what is cancel culture? Cancel culture is ideally this essence that a culture has the power or a group of people have the power to voice an opinion or thought, which then changes the behavior of a group of people or a person. And cancel culture is that this large voice, whatever culture says, is now the ruling voice or statement. And outside of, inside of cancel culture, we have explored some different ideas. And one of the big ideas we found that there's a very huge positive to cancel culture that has come out. One of those things is that the marginalized have had a voice. We saw that those who were oppressed, those who didn't have the ability to speak, now have social media. They have groups of people coming together that saying, hey, that happened to me too, and that is not right. And those people joined together, and the, a whole behavior system started to change because of those who were marginalized or oppressed or not heard before. There's a positive that has come out of that. Sexual misconduct has come into public eye, that we found out that many things were happening behind closed doors, and behind those closed doors, there was shame and guilt that were placed on its victims so that they would not speak or should not speak because they're afraid of retaliation, but because of the ability of a group of people to say, hey, this is happening to me as well, that that voice now was able to be echoed throughout culture to say, this should not happen. That's the pros of cancel culture. The negatives are many. Uh, inside of this cancel culture whole mentality is something that is so dark and so evil because yes, we have this light over here, but the other side of it is that whatever mass majority thinks is now the ruling factor. So inside of culture, and culture is always shifting, uh, inside of our own culture, we're seeing that the negative voices or the things that we don't necessarily agree with are now bullying a way of thinking that if you do not agree with me, you are my enemy. And that is a dark, dark place to go. So we started to explore this in the past weeks, and we learned that in the heart of a cancel culture mentality is that is not the way of God. Because cancel culture in the very essence is saying this, if I don't agree with you, I'm here to essentially destroy you. And by destroy, that means that we can ruin your life. We can get you kicked out of your profession. We can make you a pariah in your own community. We can take your family from you if we want. Because we don't agree with you, we are here to destroy you. That's not the way of God. Because God didn't agree with you, yet you're still here. <laughs> the beauty of what God says is like, we don't agree with you but there is another way for you. And so in the way of God of what we've explored is that our job as believers is to look for restoration, not cancellation. 
And that as believers and those who follow Jesus, if we did a better job of thinking eternally and stop focusing all our time on currently, we're supposed to be kingdom-minded, which means what we speak and we say in our engagement and community is to bring people into a relationship with God, not destroy their lives. And so we're going to keep digging into this today, but we're going to go to a place that's going to make you really uncomfortable. If this is your first time joining us, you're joining us online, um, I tend to like to do that. I apologize. Um, a good coach makes you uncomfortable, and so a good pastor makes you squirm once in a while. Today is no different. Today we're going to look at this big idea that inside of all of this, how am I as a Christian supposed to interact with a culture I don't agree with? Because I hear you, Jason. I hear what you're saying, I, and I can agree with you to a point, but there's a lot of bad things happening, and somebody needs to stand up and say something about it. We can't sit back. In fact, and I, here's a word that I've heard within the last current years. When pastors don't stand up and make a public statement about something, they are, the word is cowards. You're a coward. You're a coward if, coward if you do not stand up and speak against the atrocities that are happening in the world. You're a coward if you don't stand at your podium and say, all of this culture needs to change. We need to change. And how do we now live in it? There's going to be a tension here that we're going to talk about, which I love because those are my favorite things to talk about because you pay attention to, to really tensive, you know, if it's just a nice sermon about Jesus loves you, you, you tune me out, right? This is, a, this, this is the one I know that you'll listen to today. But before we go there, cancel culture is not a new thing. We start to believe that within social media, especially some of the older generations, uh, we start to believe, myself included, that this whole thing started happening because of Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok and all these things, where there's this larger voice of people of a younger generation who do not have the moral values or moral standards that we would say an older generation would have. So we'd say their voice is the one that's starting to dictate and move things forward, but that is not true. Cancel culture has been around forever. It just has looked different in different ways. At the essence of what we're going to look at today is that inside of a cancel culture, uh, societies have punished people or pushed people out for not agreeing with them all throughout human history. It's looked different ways at different times at different points in human history. But a professor of sociology and criminology, Jill McConnell, says this, the roots of cancel culture have been present throughout human history. Societies have punished people for behaving outside of perceived social norms for centuries, she said. And this is just another variation. Cancel culture is an extension of or a contemporary evolution of a much bolder set of social processes that we can see in the form of, here's the key word, banishment. They are designed to reinforce a set of norms. So this idea of we're going to banish you out of our community if you don't agree with us is not new. This has been going on forever. You've, it happens in families sometimes. It happens in communities. It happens in all different forms. But if you are a Christian or have been a Christian for a while, I'm going to maybe open your eyes a little bit. You may not know this. American Christianity has its own culture. Did you know that? And it's really weird. American Christianity has its own culture of which we say in America what's accepted and not accepted because of what we think and we believe being American and a Christian at the same time. And it's gone through all different evolutions and all different styles, and it's had its own banishments. Let me tell you, let's talk about one that may be spicy for you. 
Harry Potter. <laughs> when the Harry Potter books came out, there was a movement of Christian culture to absolutely banish every Harry Potter book. And I, I haven't read the book, so I don't know anything about it. I know, he's, you know he does stuff, and there's some game Quidditch, or I don't even know. Sorry, forgive me if I'm saying it wrong. And there's, uh, I don't know, muggles and stuff, right? So, so I, Harry Potter came out. And I remember this during this time. In American culture, Christian culture, had this banishment or this movement of Harry Potter. But at the same time, they allowed Lord of the Rings and said that was okay. And you've got Lord... <laughs> You've got Lord of the Rings, and you've got Harry Potter, in which there are wizards and fighting, and good guys and bad guys, and American culture said, we accept this because he was a Christian. Now, if you know anything about the history of that whole story, we don't really know where he was on his faith walk. We know C.S. Lewis walked with him through some things, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. But there is this cultural norm that said, we accept this, we deny that. Okay? And I don't have a feeling about it either way. This is just what happened. And then the Jesus fish movement on the back of our cars. The Jesus fish movement happened where if you're a Christian, you want to make sure everyone knows you're a Christian by putting the Jesus fish on the back of your car. I was a young teenager at that time, and I remember the Jesus fish sticker. And I remember one, some symbols people inside of cars with Jesus fish uh, single, on their cars would give my family or my father, whoever was driving, uh, it had to do with one finger in the middle of their hand. <laughs> But that was an acceptable uh, thing to do on your car, but it was okay, you have this, but then you could act like that. Christian culture starts to like dictate what's okay and not okay. In American Christian culture, there are some groups of Christians that say, hey, it's totally okay to drink a beer but not get drunk. And another Christian says, you can't do that, you can't dance, you can't smoke, you can't bear out people that do. And then you go to Germany, when I went to Germany, and they think we're nuts, I was uh, at a youth retreat uh, in Germany when I was a youth pastor. I went and spoke at a youth conference, evangelical youth conference. And uh, you want to talk about fascinating. I went to this youth con- I suffered in the Swiss Alps for this terrible, I had to suffer. Oh, I suffered. Ate lots of good food. You know, I snowboarded in the Swiss Alps and told German kids about Jesus. And so we were, we're sitting at this table, and part of the rules for my time with this, with this youth group was, there's a bar, all these youth there, and, and they wanted to speak English to me to practice. And I said, it's fine, but I had to speak German to them when we played games, right? So they would teach me words and stuff. I don't know what they're teaching me. I just assumed it's right. And so we're sitting here, and we're talking. And we're just talking about life. And the youth, uh, the youth that were there were, um, I don't know how to explain this well. I'll just say the most profane verbiage I've ever heard come out of a teenager. Like, just profanity-laden. Like, every other word was some profane word as he's talking to me. And the look of shock on my face must have indicated, and so the youth pastor who's, who, uh, who brought me over came over, and he, and he started to speak to them in German or whatever. And I said, you know, we were done talking, and they stopped cursing around me. And I said, uh, what's going on, dude, right? Like, what, what's going on? He goes, well, I, I told them in America, Christians don't talk like that. And I said, they speak like that here in Germany? He goes, why don't you ask them? So I said, okay. So I grabbed that one youth who was really profane. Um, I said, hey, man, can you, uh, you just, you were using like a lot of profanity. Like I just heard you just talking and stuff. Like just help me understand. Like in my culture, in Christian culture, that's not what we do. He goes, what are you talking about? We watch all of your movies and listen to all your music. That's how we think you talk. Culture. Culture dictates everything. 
And so inside of this, the past 10 years, actually going out 20, but really the last 10, we are now moving into what's called a post-Christian society. So a best way to think about this, if you were a Christian in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you were what we'd call the home team. People went to church on Sunday. Nothing happened on Sunday. Sundays were sacred. You loved your pastors. Attendance was a normal thing that you went almost every week because you had to. Otherwise, people shamed you, right? But you were there every Sunday. You were the home team. A post-Christian culture is what we are now in, which means Christians are now the away team. We're walking into a stadium in which we are booed. Our norms are not celebrated. We are the enemy into a land in which we are the outsiders. But American Christianity was the home team was for so long. And so as a culture, we're banging our heads saying, why aren't people listening to us? It's because you don't have a voice anymore. Because the culture of American Christianity is gone. Now listen to what I'm saying here this morning. I'm not saying the gospel has been depleted. That's not what I'm saying. I'm thinking the gospel more than ever must be echoed into our communities and into our world. What I'm saying is that our weird culture in which everybody kind of did and kind of acted the way we said they had to is no longer the norm. So if you're wondering, why is everything such a mess? Why isn't culture having moral values that are Christian? Because we're in a post-Christian culture. It's written about everywhere. You can look it up. You can read books all about what's happening in post-Christian America. But when I went to Germany, and this was 20 years ago, they were already post-Christian. And so I sat for weeks in Germany and Switzerland, again, suffering, but learning, <laughs> what does it look like to live in a post-Christian culture? I lived it. I walked into churches that were faithfully meeting, but attendance was low. I listened to pastors being in the community, trying to build one relationship at a time. I was, had the opportunity to sit with youth and listen to them share their story of what it's like to be a Christian in a non-Christian culture. And you want to talk about difficult. We're there, and we're moving that way. In fact, the United States of America is always about 20 to 30 years behind what's happening in Europe, and now time is catching up, and we are now post-Christian. So what does that mean for us? This morning, we're going to explore some big, big, big themes how do we interact in a post-Christian culture? Do we separate ourselves? Do we fight? Or do we give in? Do we separate, fight, or give in? Because there's no way we can just kind of be anymore. That time is gone. It's not the culture when I say, hey, do you go to church on Sunday? I usually now get a snicker. You mean before or after my seven soccer practices? Do you mean before or after I've got to visit my different families? Do you mean before or after I've got to finish my multitudes of homework? Do you mean before or after uh, I've been working 80 hours this week, I have to have one day of rest? We are not there anymore in a Christian culture. So how do we interact with it? And do we actually need to see, as Scripture calls to see, the culture as our enemy? Our enemy. That's a key word here as we explore the, the word today. We're going to be in Titus. Do we see culture as our enemy? Because in God's upside-down kingdom, he calls us to something that's supposed to look different, act different, smell different, but at the same time, we're in a culture that feels so dark according to what the word of God is calling us to. Because God calls us to serve. He calls us to grace. He calls us to unconditional love. 
But as the away team, we walk on the field and everybody is booing you. What do we do? So we're in Titus chapter 3 today. Titus chapter 3 will be in verses 1 to 11 if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, iPads, whatever you use. Titus 3, verses 1 to 11. This passage, we're going to see uh, the Paul's our author, uh, who is writing to, a, uh, to the church, writing to Titus specifically, and we're going to see how he engages to live within a culture that Christians may not necessarily agree with. Three big themes. Three big themes. You're to live peacefully, you're to live graciously, and you're to live civilly. Those three words. Listen to these words as you hear the scriptures. Gracefully, peacefully, and civilly. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us graciously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. So Paul's writing to Titus, who's left in Crete. Crete is an extremely non-Christian place, culture, society. And so he's left there, and they started this work of sharing the gospel. And so Titus is there, and Paul's writing this word to always encourage. He's a writer of encouragement, but he's also a a truth bomb guy. He always drops the truth bomb, but he loves it with grace. And he says something that's very interesting in three different sections within this one passage. First of all, he says, this is how you guys are to live. Second of all, remember what you came from. Third of all, when Christians or the people within your church family are argumentative and divisive, give them a warning. And if they're Christians and they're in there, then move them on. We have no time for this nonsense because we as believers can't be divisive. So our behavior and how we act is supposed to be the overflow of this idea that God's grace is overflowing on top of us day in and day out. And Paul's always reminding his readers uh, of these letters that he's writing into these churches over and over again within scriptures, you have to remember what you've came from. Over and over and over and over again. So if in our terminology, let's use our language, you need to remember what a huge, flaming, hot, burning, dumpster fire mess of a life you have. And then remember that God's forgiven you of all that. That is how you're to approach people. Remember yourself before you open your mouth. Now, I'm on a stage, there's a podium, and I've got a mic. I am a hot, flaming dumpster fire of a life, both in the past, and I still continue to do it. I speak, and I teach, and I live, and I parent, and I love, and I'm in my community 
with always that in mind because this passage is something I take so deeply to heart that at any time I believe I'm better than you, I'm going to speak at you. When I believe and understand that I have been saved of so much, that I am the problem, that God's mercy is fresh on me every single day, I now talk with you. And that talking with you looks different than talking at you. People have asked questions about our culture and the mosaic culture and this. uh, We have our hashtag love where you live. We talked about homecoming, being in the community, and all these sorts of things. Um, it's, there's not, we're not doing anything special. We're just literally doing what the Word of God tells us to do. And when the church was the home team, the church decided in my, t- my years of growing up, okay, so I grew up in the 80s, um, in my time in, in, in the church world, it was, hey, this is what you do. All of your friends are lost. You need to bring them to church, right? So your friends are all lost. Bring them to church because The church was known as the good place to go, and parents would say, yeah, you need to go to church. You're bad at math. You should go to church, right? (laughs) You yell at your brother. You should go to church, right? So parents would take their kids and say, absolutely, you should go to church. That's the good place to be. And as I said, we're in a post-Christian culture. The generations have moved on. The millennials are now parents, and Gen Z are now moving into the early young adulthood and becoming parents themselves. And let me tell you how that has changed. Now, as the away team, we can't, and we can, of course, ask people to come to church. I'm not saying you don't ask that. You know what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that because culture has shifted, the church has to go outside of its doors and actually be the church. We have to go into their culture and love our culture. We have to go serve literally 932,000 hot dogs, hamburgers, pretzels, and nachos, not for the sake of getting them to come to Mosaic Church. It's because we love our community, because we're building relationships, because we're there, because that's exactly where Jesus is supposed to be. It's not a I have to, it's a I get to. And now we go from the home team of you all come to my building, they don't want to come to our building, the church is now reacting, the church is saying, oh, hey, maybe we're supposed to do what Jesus told us to, uh, I don't know, 2,000 years ago and go and make disciples. And so now the church is opening its doors and it's flooding out in new ways it hasn't in American Christianity for many, many, many years. It's terrifying and beautiful at the same time. And I'll tell you why it's terrifying. It's terrifying because we don't know what we're doing. For so many years, Christians have had this opportunity of being the home team that we're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, Do I sit down and share the gospel with them? Do I do Romans Road? Do I do the cross illustration? Do I do the bridge illustration? Do I hand them a tract? Do I talk about this? Do I invite them to church? Do I not invite them to church? Do I talk about my faith? Do I give my testimony? And everybody has all these question marks that are now running like, what am I supposed to do? And this is our plug for our discipleship pathway. (laughs) Mosaic Church is designed and created to make disciples that make disciples to make disciples because of this passage that we are here on purpose and on mission to equip and train you to love people well. We are not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. Huge, monstrous difference. And let me explain that to you, what that means. The presentation and the gospel, the strength and the power of the gospel is the most powerful thing in the universe because God's love cost his son to die so that we can be freed the most loving, powerful thing in the world that we can do. 
But for me to listen to Jesus, my job is to walk with you, teach you, and train you how to interact as a Christ follower in the culture in which we are called to at this day and age to engage people, to love them, to show them God's love in the culture. And here, Paul is saying the same things. And this is what he says to his culture. Let's see if you can hear this at all. Listen if you can hear this. (laughs) I mean, wow. Welcome COVID and our past election. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Well, let's just talk about COVID for a second. Do I really need to? People ask why we took the approach that we did during COVID. People ask the question. Some people were mad that we didn't go left. Some people were mad we didn't go right. People were mad. People are just mad. I get that. There was a lot of emotion that was involved. And I'm going to share this from my perspective of studying, reading, and being involved within the church community. I've sat down with pastors from everywhere. Pastors are quitting because of how people responded to COVID. I have one friend of mine who started ministry with me who's still in ministry. My friend who is in a larger church in Wisconsin said they cannot find a pastor to replace them. They have two candidates because every pastor has quit because they can't take it anymore. And this is what we can't take or they couldn't take. I'm still here. I got you guys. This is why we took the approach we did. I understand there's political tension. I understand that there's cultural tension. I understand those things. And wherever you stand, I understand you. Our approach during this time of tension was to do this. How do we engage our culture with love and still be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because our culture has a thought. Christianity had a thought. There's this huge thing in the middle. And what I saw on social media, what I saw from Christians was using social media words to absolutely destroy anybody that they could. It was so hard to watch on both sides. So if you'll catch me here, I have no side on anything on this. I'm just speaking about how we are to interact. So hear what I'm saying. The word of God says we're to be gentle towards everybody. And so that one thing caused so much divisiveness within a a group of believers and within a church and then a culture. And so then the culture turned and said, see, that's why we don't like you guys. Do you see how mean you are? Do you see? And then Christianity said, look at the culture. Look at how mean that they are. Look at how terrible they are. And look at how they don't, I mean, just darkness, darkness, all these words are flying all over the place. And it broke my heart. And I sit down and I listen to my pastoral friends and they say, I just can't do this anymore. We are in big trouble in the next 30 years for pastoral leadership. Henceforth, why Mosaic exists to pour its life and energy into the next generation to make disciples that make disciples. Not only for a pastor who sits inside and leads a church, but for disciple makers who go into their community and change lives. And so this passage is so hard because the Bible tells us we're supposed to be different, we're supposed to be kingdom-minded, and at the same time, we're living within this culture, which is so difficult to live in. But what if we did this? I'm just going to process, and there's no finger-pointing because um, I'm just speaking in generalities today. So if you feel finger-pointed at, that's the Holy Spirit, not me. This is it. What if we as Christians stop trying to be right? Right? 
and started to love. Just process this for a second. You're saying, Jason, we are right. Eh, some of your things, <laughs> we're not always right. If we were all right all the time, all Christians would agree on everything, yet we have 75 to 1,000 denominations. So let's say the gospel, I'm going to say this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the absolute truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. There is no way to God but by him. He has made that clear. There is no multiple ways to heaven. Jesus Christ is the answer, okay? There are doctrinal truths. I'm not talking about the main doctrinal truths. I'm talking about this. When you sit down with somebody who disagrees with you, what if we just tried to listen and love instead of trying to be right? What if we shared in a conversation? This is old school, right? Some of my older brothers and sisters. Remember when y'all could sit down and have a conversation? But when you have a meal, what do they say? No politics, no religion. Why do those things never talked about? Because people can't have civil conversations about them. We're supposed to be civil. We're supposed to have conversations together. And so I'm telling you, friends, I sit down with my friends who are not churchgoers, not Christians, and we have conversations and I listen to them share. And all I'm thinking is, oh my word, this guy's a dumpster fire. Everything he's saying is wrong. And so as I'm listening to him share, I don't say, brother, you need to stop speaking. Let me tell you everything that's right according to Jason. I listen to my brother share, and I say, can I share with you a different perspective? Sure. And I share with them a different story, a story of God. My, a God interacts with you. Let me share with you how my faith interacts with your story. Let me share with you how I've interacted with that because of my faith. And here I am sharing God to him without saying, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. I'm saying, let me just process this with you. What if, what if, you say there's no God, what if there is, bro? What if I am correct? If I'm correct, and there is a way to heaven, and it's Jesus, and he says, like, it matters for eternity, and like, and, and I've lived, I mean, okay, wow, okay, payday, right? Like, I was right, and cool, there's heaven. Um, if I'm wrong, and we all just dissipate into nothing, and it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter anyways. But if I'm right, and then I'm wrong, let's say that I follow the way of Jesus, did I not just live a life of love, sacrifice? Did I not give to the poor, help those in need? Did I not make our world a better place, which we've been singing about since the 80s? Have I not made our, our world a better place because of what Jesus taught me, and I've given love and asked for nothing in return? Have I done a good job of being a good human? He would say yes. And I would say, man, just something to process. Maybe, maybe Jesus is legit because that's what he taught us to do. Let me give you a different perspective. And this is for our social media friends. Um, I, I watch, and if you guys follow this stuff, you guys know, I, I had to unsubscribe to all this. I couldn't watch it anymore. It made my heart bleed when someone said they would make a statement about whatever it is, and then I would watch Christians going just banging blowing people up. And then I'd watch subtext, if you guys know what that is, like another subsection where they'd reply to people, and they would start saying, well, obviously you don't know the real Bible, and blah, 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 blah. And there would be 150 threads of people all trying to defend something instead of just loving this dude who's like, dude, I don't know if there's a God anymore. I don't know how I can believe in God with my wife who just died. Well, don't you know? And they'd start, you know, dropping all this. Friends, we are in a post-Christian society, and Paul and Titus are sitting inside of a culture in which they were not the home team. American Christianity, if you have not felt it shift, this is the shift that I've been, I'm sharing with you today. Now you're aware of this post-Christian way of thinking. If we stopped 
trying to be right all the time. Instead, just loved and were a member of our community and actually, actually was like Jesus. And this is going to blow your mind because you're going to find that this is what Jesus did, that he spoke truth and love perfectly put together within grace. But he didn't come to change a culture. He came to change you. He came to change people. He didn't come to change a culture. The culture of Jesus' time was that Roman, Rome occupied Israel. So there was an occupation of the homeland. And all the Jewish people wanted Jesus to come and say, wipe out Rome, get us out of this mess. You are our political leaders. Like, I'm not here for politics, bro. I'm here for the kingdom of God. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he kept talking to individuals because individuals change a culture. You can't change thousands, but you can change one. And that's what Jesus was teaching. He was going one by one by one, and he took the time for one. He took the time for that one woman sitting by the well. He took the time for that one man who asked, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? He took time for his disciples. He took time for the large crowds, and he was going one by one by one. And he had three years of public ministry. I've been doing this 20 years, so he is way beating me right now in his effectiveness. <laughs> that is how you change a culture. You want to change a culture, change the culture of your marriage. Change the culture of your family, change the culture of your children that you have, change the culture of your workplace, change the culture of here. Change the culture in which you are engaged in. Change the culture in which your neighbors see you as. Change the culture of your neighborhood. Imagine, now we dream, Imagine if we engage the way Jesus did one by one by one, that we stop pointing our fingers to a post-Christian culture and start pointing at the people who God has placed in our lives that we're ignoring. So you are not to separate. We're actually supposed to be completely engaged with. Verse 3 again. I want to read this again, and I want you to hear very clear directions from Paul. It says this, verse three, or verse 1, chapter 3. Verse 1 again, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. The words there, I want you to hear multiple times when he's talking to a large group of people, slander no one, gentle towards everyone, is everybody, not just people you like. So this is what Paul tells you. You want to know what to do in a post-Christian culture. Respect your governmental authority. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one, huh? Because no matter what side of the aisle you're on or if you're in the middle, it doesn't matter. Uh, that, and we got all these political ads. I love political ads, said no one ever. Um, we're to respect them. Have you respected your political authority in the past, let's just say, 10 years? Do you obey the law regardless of what you think? Are you obedient do you do good work in your community? Are you engaged with community? Are you engaged with those who are outside of a faith community? You do not talk trash or engage in debates. Do not talk garbage or engage in debates. Instead, what we are to be is gentle and kind. And what we learn later in Scripture is have a ready response for the hope that we have. That is disciple-making discipleship. I have friends both inside the church community and both outside the church community. I have people who are kind of in the middle, kind of like, yeah, I kind of go to church for Christmas and Easter, which I'm like, hey, cool, like, you're in the middle, that's great, right? And I've got friends on all the different spectrum, 
And I am not purposely going out saying, hey, I want to make friends in all different spectrum. These are just people that God has brought into my life. And when they engage me, I'm wondering if they just met with a pastor or if they met with Jason. So in your terminology, did they just meet with a Christian or did they meet with fill in the blank? And what I mean by that is this. When we look at anybody, our culture, our friends, our world, as I'm here to give you what I have, you are missing the entire boat because Jesus offered what he had and he says, this is the truth. Do you want it or do you not? If they meet with me and they've met with Pastor Jason, what I understand from that person is that they heard an authority figure who has gone to seminary, knows lots of Bible stuff, and they are looking for an answer from that place. And they've asked specifically for that. If my friends are meeting with me and I'm being Pastor Jason to them, they're not going to hang out with me because they don't want, they're not here for that. They're just here to hang out with me. But at the same time, they're engaging Pastor Jason because literally the way I'm on the stage is the same way I am everywhere else. I, I think I yell less when I'm out there, but I yell more here. I yell more on the stage, yeah. Um, but I'm the same guy. Like, I'm just, I, I'll say I'm just Jason. I'm just Jason. Who am I? I'm a super messed up guy that Jesus saved, and I'm here to walk with other people who are going through tough stuff because I believe with my whole heart that the way of God is the way to find life. And I want to move on to this unbelievable quote because this is something we've got to engage, civility. York Moore writes this. Civility is much more than politeness. It is the ability to live in the tension of dialogue and thought with the other, to welcome the other, to be hospitable to the other while engaging in things that make for your core differences. Old school conversation. I don't agree with you. Let me give you my perspective. Like, hey, cool thoughts, bro. I really disagree, but you're still my friend. What happened to that in the past 10 years? One of the things that I want us to kind of focus in on as we start to move towards the ending of this is remembering where we've come from. I think that in our faith walk, there's been a movement to see us and them. There's a movement to see I'm good and they're not. There's a movement to say, I know the truth and they are wrong. Um, I'm not saying, friends, that we, we, ha we have the truth and our job is to share the truth of the gospel. What I am saying is that when we speak, it comes through verse 3. Listen to verse 3 here again. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and desires. Feel free to raise your hand when I mention you, okay? Everybody? No, I'm just totally kidding. Uh, that, that uncomfortable, like, really, bro? We're on Facebook Live. No, you don't have to. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. All that is saying, it's been God's mercy on you because he loved you when you were not lovable. He loved you when you're a hot mess. He had patience with you when you kept sinning. He had patience with you when you're spouting off incorrect doctrine, incorrect theologies, maybe incorrect everything about God. He loved you so much because he's merciful. This is a trustworthy saying. I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves 
to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for, the word is, everyone. Not just the church, everyone. When you are hospitable, when you are kind, when you are loving, when you are merciful, when you keep the perspective of the mirror on yourself, you start to understand and get that you are just as messed up as everybody. When I look in the mirror and then I look at you, I have to face the fact that what makes me better than you, my answer is absolutely nothing. This verse makes it so clear. God's mercy is on you. How dare you take an arrogant approach to anybody? We are all messed up. And if you don't think you're messed up, I don't know what to tell you because you are messed up. We all are. We are. We're, we're broken. And the things I find out about Jesus on our faith walk, the more I get closer to Jesus, the more I realize how far away, away I am from him. So you want to know who's someone who is spiritually mature? It's not that they tell you that they're spiritually mature, that they live it and they show this verse in their lives. Someone who walks with Jesus a long time is the most humble, loving, kind person in the world. They engage with lost people, and you would never even know that they skip a beat. They are engaged with Christian people. Boom, they're on it. They're in their workplaces. They're loved in their community. They are pouring their hearts out for everybody. Those are the type of people, the men that I've seen in my life and women, that I want to live a life like. And my legacy that I leave is not starting a church, but leaving generations that love Jesus Christ. You have the same calling. You have the same calling. It's not just me. It's we. And together, we get to be a part of the story. But here's the hard work. There's hard work living with non-believers and believers. And so let me say something. It's hard work when you're in a community like, oh my gosh, you don't understand, Jason. This guy next to me, I seriously wanted Jesus throat punch him. I understand. I understand. Let me just say this in your faith walk. I'm going to ask you, brother, sister, to grow. Like, keep growing and keep working. Get into discipleship groups. We're going to be talking a lot about that, what that means, starting your journey of walking with Nick and I and our leadership to show you what does this all look like practically? Because I'm not just saying this. I am modeling it and living this for all of you as a community member in Slinger and in Washington County. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're on your faith journey, if you cannot be kind, please be quiet. Because my friends have heard your unkindness and they don't like us. Let me say that again. I know that might sting, but I want you to hear my heart. If you cannot be kind, what I mean is that speaking in love, please be quiet because my friends have heard you and they don't like us. I'm never going to church, they said, but I'll hang out with you. I'm never going to step foot. I said, why don't you want to step foot in church? And you've probably heard the reasons. You're judgmental and blah, 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 and you guys are crazy. I'm like, yeah, we are kind of crazy. That's cool. I mean, we're cool crazy, but... But if we can't be, speak the truth in love, the word tells us that everything comes through love. For those who are on the front line in the community working and banging and going for it, let me just ask this huge question. Until you get the spiritual maturity, please stop setting up these roadblocks that I have to try to get over. And I have to, and I've throughout my 20 years said, I, I know this person will never say it, but I'm so sorry that that Christian said that to you, that Christian did that to you. I'm so sorry. And here's the thing I always remember people are apologizing for me too. Because I've screwed up. I've said the wrong thing. I've thought through stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've done so many dumb things. I've said the wrong thing. I thought I was doing the right thing, but it wasn't kind. It wasn't in love. 
and I've messed up. So I'm not pointing the finger just at you, friends. I'm pointing the finger at me. And there are moments in which I can't be kind, and I'm absolutely silent because I just wanted Jesus to throw a punch him. And I don't say anything. I'm like, oh, okay, I hear your perspective. I'm going to go get a donut now. <laughs> friends, let's stop trying to win debates, and let's start trying to show people Jesus Christ. I love this saying here from Luke Harrington. He gives this idea of what Jesus did. I love this. It's, he wrote this in Christ in Pop Culture in April 2021. He says this, I'm routinely struck when I read the Gospels by how narrowly focused Jesus' teaching is. Most of it, if not quite all of it, seems directed as an answer to the implied or occasional explicit question of good teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? The answers, almost always, are geared towards ensuring that the listener's own behavior is just and righteous. Countless individuals over the centuries have tried to politicize Jesus' teaching, but it stubbornly resists it. The teacher tells us to remake ourselves, not the world around us. And yet, if we would simply obey, the world would be remade. Jesus has called you to remake yourselves, not the world. How do we remake? Uh, engage with a post-Christian culture? How do we engage in cancel culture? How do we land this huge series of one statement after another? Our job is to remake ourselves, not remake the culture. When we remake ourselves, if we actually did what Jesus said and lived righteously and did the things that he taught, the overflow waves would go into culture and therefore culture would change. So whose fault is it right now, do you think, in America that culture is going to the left, to the right, to the middle, whatever you want to say. Is it the politicians that we blame? Is it that we took God out of schools? Is it that this person's president, that person's not, or that person, blah, 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 blah. Or is it the fact that Christ followers are not engaging the community the way that Jesus said by remaking ourselves, that we engage our community and they get to say, hey, are you one of Jesus' 12 disciples? Would they say that of you? One of the 12. Just like 2022. Are you one of the 12 that hangs out with them every day? Because you're different, man. The way that you engage and talk and live, like you sound like this Jesus. Like, what is your deal? And I could say, I'm just a hot, flaming, dumpster fire mess that Jesus called to follow him. And I'm just trying to be more like him because I believe with my whole heart the things that he taught us changes the world. So I'm not here to change the world, brother. I'm here to change me, and I'd like to share that with you because I think together, as we grow, we can change the world. That's discipleship. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.